The world we know is gone. No Google. No Amazon.com. No email. No podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Welcome to episode number seven of the Walking Dead TV podcast, where we're going to discuss episode two of The Walking Dead, Guts. My name is Jordan. I'm Brad. I'm Jim. And this is John. And we've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today, but we're going to start out talking about the last episode of The Walking Dead because it got some tremendous ratings, especially for a cable program. But even aside from that, it did great. Uh, The episode for its premiere got 5.3 million viewers. If you count all three showings of the episode that night, they got, I think it was 8.3. Now, to people who might not know what those ratings mean or how that plays up against other shows, that's better than any episode of True Blood has ever been rated. It was rated higher than anything on NBC the prior week, except for The Office and Sports, Uh, better than any episode of Dexter. It's the highest uh, rated premiere of any episode or of any show on AMC. It's the highest rated episode of any show ever on AMC. So let's just put it mildly. It was a huge success and hopefully ratings for tonight's episode were just as spectacular. Yeah. You know, when you gave me the numbers originally, you know, I was impressed, but I didn't really see the scope of it until you compared it to all of those other shows like you just did. So it's the highest rated premiere on cable this entire year. I mean, just to put it that way. And the only show that outperformed it in its time slot was a network show, uh, Desperate Housewives. And, and just barely. It was by you Yeah, know, not point by much million. at all. So uh, great work, everybody who watched. you, uh, Or everybody who watched with a Nielsen box. You did your part. I think that we're going to start off with a voicemail. Uh, we got a couple of great voicemails after the premiere aired. And they're a little bit lengthy. Uh, I want to give a disclaimer that I edited them down a little bit just in the in the uh, idea of time. Uh, we do appreciate getting them a lot, and uh, we, we do we listen to them in there in in full, but we'll play them a little bit edited just to uh, just to move things along. But here is our first one. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, this is Mike from Connecticut. I just listened to episode six of your The Walking Dead TV podcast. Thank you guys very much. It's awesome. You guys had mentioned that you wanted to hear from a non-reader of the comics, and I am a noob, having not even a comic person, but uh, I love the show. I've seen many zombie movies before, and my issue with them is normally they have people walking around without weapons, yelling without any kind of attention drawn to them, and it just kind of makes it not feasible at all. Um, I thought they did a stellar job of if you knock into something, you're going to track zombies, you can't shoot your gun, or else you're going to track zombies. I thought that was awesome. Um, Two minor things with it, however, was which one you pointed out was when he's under the tank and he shoots and he rolls over. He kind of got into the tank a little too quick, kind of like he knew that it was there already. Uh, It didn't really affect my viewing of it, but... It was just a little thing. And the other little thing was when they got back, Morgan boarded up the doors 
but leaves Gleam downstairs, yet he's going to be tra- attracting more zombies when he's shooting them. And when he's shooting them, won't they kind of just all hoard around the house and they're going to be stuck in there? Just a little, another little thing. I know I thought a little too in-depth on it. Yeah, one more question I just had to throw out to you guys. Um, uh, being a non-reader, I just would love to hear what you guys have to think of. Uh, do you think I should start reading the comics um, or wait until the season's over or the whole series is over if it becomes a full series? And if so, if you do recommend me starting to read them now, um, what, what do you guys recommend not being a comic person? Um, the best and also the cheapest way of getting the source material, um, whether it be a book or the trades. So I don't really know what trades are, but trades. I'd love to hear from you guys. Overall, thought it was an awesome, awesome show. Uh, I love the ending, the tank. I didn't know how he's going to get out. I, well, I still don't know, but, um, I mean, I saw in the trailer, and that was my instant thought. I love the ending of getting on the radio and calling him an asshole. It was a little tension breaker, and I can't wait till next week's episode. Uh, and I can't wait to hear from you guys as well. All right, thanks. Bye. Well, speaking to this one question, I think the cheapest way you could probably find the most bang for your buck on the Walking Dead comics front would be the compendium. If I'm not mistaken, because that's what the first 40 issues. Yeah, it's actually the first 48, and I'm pretty sure it's, it's on Amazon for like 30 bucks, I would say. And if you, and I guess we should we take for granted that people know what trades are. The trades are the soft cover versions, uh, the collections of the comic, but you maybe get six issues per trade. And those probably run, uh, what are they running now? Maybe a little less than 10 for the first couple of volumes, and then probably like 15 or so? I know the first one was only 10 bucks. I can't remember if the one up, I think it did go up a few dollars on the second one. Uh, I was also going to mention uh, one of our favorite websites, instocktrades.com. Uh, everything they have uh, there is at least 35% off, and that's, it's comparable to Amazon. Sometimes you might find it a couple dollars cheaper at in-stock trades, but um, we don't get any money for bringing them up, by the way. I just I like the website. I, I want people to know about it. You know, I thought it was interesting. We take a lot of things for granted as comic book readers. When he said he didn't know what a trade was, I had to stop and think, well, if, if he didn't read comics, he wouldn't know what a trade was. And I just That just kind of struck me. Yeah, so I, I guess to, to sum that uh, part of the answer up, if you buy the trades, you're getting six issues a pop, and it's going to run you probably 10 bucks each, which for 48 issues, you're talking about eight trades, so maybe around 80 bucks. You grab the compendium, you're getting those same issues for about 30 bucks. As for when to start reading them, it looks like you know we're going to get into the show discussion pretty soon. They're going way off the rails from the story in the book, so I don't think you'd really be spoiled much besides meeting the characters ahead of time. One other bit of advice I might give is why don't you check out maybe one or two issues digital first. Um, get in there cheap and just make sure that you like the way the dialogue is written. I need, I love the way Robert Kirkman writes dialogue, and I think all of us do, but there are people out there who just – it doesn't work for them. So maybe you want to double-check and make sure that it's going to be something you'll like to read, You know, storyline aside, the actual dialogue before you pick up you know a $30 book. But that's just a – Slight caveat there. Aren't they also releasing uh, weekly uh, reprints? 
That's true. They're going to be doing weekly reprints, one issue per week of the series, starting soon, right? Does anybody know what date that is? January. Okay, January. So yeah, he might not want to wait that long. Plus, um, I mean, again, they didn't. They kept the price of the reprints the same as cover price. It's three bucks an issue. So now, for those forty-eight issues, I mean, yeah, you're going to be spending a hundred and fifty bucks. So. Real quick, yeah, just but because, I was speaking to what Jordan was saying about if you wanted to sample, you know, get a taste of what the comic is like. Yeah, exactly. Um, one question or one thing we should point out probably is that there are not just the options we've even mentioned for getting. You can get them single issues, the floppies, as we might call in comic speak. Then you have trades, trade paperbacks, TPBs. Those are the six issue uh, soft cover uh, collections. Then you have twelve issue hardcover collections. Are they oversized, guys? Yep. Okay, so they're going to be bigger, and we generally call them the books. Then there's also, I believe, a 24-issue edition, isn't there? Yes, like, there are. I think they I think they call them omnibus editions. I think. I think there's been – I know there's been two of them out, and I, I, I'm thinking the third one was just either released or solicited. It's got to be in the pipe somewhere. But So you can get them one issue at a time, six at a time, 12 at a time, 24 or 48 at a time. There's plenty of options for whatever your wallet might allow or whatever your interest level is in The Walking Dead based on the first two episodes. I have a suggestion. I would wait at this point if you haven't read the books and due to the fact that as we've seen, like John just pointed out, that it appears that they are diverging widely from the path that Robert Kirkman laid out. I would think maybe it's just me speaking of me of a bear of very little brain. Uh, I would get confused if I'm watching the TV show and reading the books because I'm, I'm would try to I'd have to process two things at the same time and and I I wouldn't enjoy that that much. Yeah, I agree completely. I would wait till the season's over at least, and then in the downtime you have you know, a whole year practically to get caught up. Yeah, I think that's a perfect suggestion. You don't have to wait till the whole show's over. In between seasons to fill the gaps, you know, ask us, hey, how far did this season get in the comics? And then we'll tell you, you know. So thanks again, Mike, for that voicemail. We really appreciate it. Uh, Like I said, we have another voicemail to play. We're going to kind of break it up and, and play that after we talk about the episode. And right now, I think we're going to get to some quick forum comments just to kind of uh, spread things out. Jim, do you have those? Absolutely. If you would like to uh, be part of our forums, we're exclusively available at forumforgeeks.com. Forumforgeeks.com will satisfy all your forum and geek needs. Uh, comics, TV, movies, music, we cover it all. But it's also the home base for the Walking Dead TV podcast forums. And we got some really good comments on our last episode from some of the foreign members. Uh, 80s Junkie uh, says that he's glad the show is faithful in spirit and not a literal translation of the comic book. And I can definitely agree about that. Uh, Dark Knight Jared from Arizona had a lot of really good comments, including a fan-made opening uh, Title screen made with art from the comics, which is really cool. Uh, that's worth the trip to forumforgeeks.com just to check that out. Uh, Chub Toad from Texas had some nice things to say. Also, one of our listeners, Tal from Jakobstad, Finland, said that he enjoyed both the, the TV show and the podcast. Thank you, Tal. Uh, thanks for listening out there. And our good friend Daryl Taylor, who's been a, go- a guest with us several times on the uh, Legion of Dudes podcast, decided to continue the hatred for Lori that I started with episode uh, four <laughs> of the Walking Dead podcast by just saying, I hate you, Lori, in his <laughs> post, and that's it. So we also heard from uh, Nate Bjork. <laughs> he jo- also joined in on a Lori hatred, saying that 
Lori was a word that rhymes with witch. And if you would like to have your forum, uh, get your forum on at forumforgeeks.com, then just log in, look for the Walking Dead TV podcast forum, and uh, give us some comments. We really appreciate all of your feedback. I also want to spotlight uh, Arthur Ratnick from uh, Two True Freaks. He had an awesome comment. Uh, something I think he was the first person anywhere online I saw bring this up. But in the scene right after the credits where Rick and Shane are in the squad car eating, Shane is dipping his fries in Rick's ketchup when he wasn't looking. So some nice foreshadowing there and a uh, great catch there, Arthur. Yes, because Shane is definitely dipping his fries in Rick's ketchup, so to speak. <laughs> um, and we should also mention... That also at Forum for Geeks, we have the entire Walking Dead podcast network. If you listen to our show and you go, that's great, but I want to be able to listen for hours more to more Walking Dead discussion, you can check out five different Walking Dead podcasts right now. We've got The Talking Dead, The Walking Dead cast, Zombie Drill podcast, and Behind the Cutting Edge Walking Dead edition. All kinds of good stuff. Some of them are explicit. Some of them are clean. Some of them have read the comics. Some haven't. You're going to get a wide variety of stuff there, and all the discussion can take place at one take place at one place. Uh, forumforgeeks.com to scroll down about halfway down the page the walking dead podcast network i'd like to ask jim since he wasn't on the first episode with us and i'm really sorry i was really looking forward to hearing your take on the first episode jim but i know you're a busy man uh, just give us a, a quick opinion your take on on episode one well it was interesting i watched it with my wife who has no uh knowledge or history of the comic book whatsoever and uh Myself, I've read pretty, I'm fairly current. I think I'm up to like issue 60 or so. I think I'm about a trade or so behind. So we watched it together. And uh, she was very much taken by the story and the characters. And I kind of explained to her that that was the deal with The Walking Dead. I mean, there are a lot of zombie movies out there. But the, the thing that really sets The Walking Dead apart is the character development and the way the characters develop over time and how, you know, we find out that, you know, that. You know, The Walking Dead doesn't only uh, refer to the zombies, it refers to the, the survivors as well. If the quality and the level of, of writing and acting is going to be that consistent throughout the whole series, I think we're in for a really good ride. Well, unfortunately, after episode two, this zombie says that's not going to be the case. Oh boy, a naysayer. We're gonna, like I said, we're gonna leave our tweeting dead segment and another voicemail and our reviews and an email for after the uh, episode talk. But I'm gonna turn this over to Jordan right now, and he's gonna run us through episode two. All right, let's get right to it. All right, so Lori leaves the base camp and she goes into the woods to scrounge for food. After Amy gets back, she senses someone's around her and then is silenced by Shane, who comes up behind her. They begin making out, but uh, pause briefly so she can remove Rick's wedding ring from a chain around her neck, and then they go back to having dirty wood sex. That was a way to start off with a bang. <laughs> Literally. Uh, m my thought to this was, A, definitely sh shows them pushing more envelopes than just violence on television, but also I thought they had more chemistry. Granted, it's not chemistry that they should have considering what they're doing, but they had more chemistry in this episode than the first one, I thought. I still hate Lori. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone will hate Lori by the end of the, that scene there. Except Shane. You know, I know I've said mil millions of times that I'm going to try to be really objective and keep the comic book away from my enjoyment of the television show. But I don't think at this point it's going to be possible, at least for me. Jim doesn't like Lori. I never minded Lori in the comic. But after watching this episode, um, I want Lori to be eaten by a zombie as soon as possible. And which is funny because I think it has to do with the uh, actress's portrayal. And I like this lady in uh, Prison Break. She didn't bother me at all. 
But now I just want to punch her. Sign of a good actress. Brad wants to punch you. Well, we can hope that, you know, the side that hasn't really been portrayed yet is that, you know, they think Rick is dead. So how do people act in these circumstances when their loved ones that they know are killed? You know, maybe they're going to play it up that she was hoping to have a father for Carl. Now, they definitely are showing Shane's relationship with Carl. Oh, definitely, especially as we move on through the episode. I've I've also heard people say that maybe in the television show, her affair with Shane actually stretches back before Rick's accident, that it could be something that they could handle in flashback. That might be a good uh, um, surmise because they seem a lot more familiar with one another than they did in the comic, was the point I was trying to make before. So that might be exactly why. And it should be noted also that in AMC shows, as we've talked, as well as The Walking Dead, it's all about character development. So far, we've only seen a very small slice of, of their uh, affairish pie there. You know, we haven't seen all the sides of the issue. And yeah, definitely from this point, what they're doing, can't agree with it morally. But there may be more to be revealed later as they peel back the layers of the onion. Rick could have been doing things as well. There could be more to the situ- situation that we know. And one thing that AMC loves to do is just kind of slowly expand to the point where they'll make you hate a character just to turn around and make you love that character even more when you find out more information. So not saying it's going to happen, but I think it'd be really cool if they can do that. If you guys really hate her now, if they can make you love that character by the end of the season or season two, how awesome would that be? If they end up doing that to me uh, with Rick, if they end up making me hate him, I'm going to stop watching the show. Because that's that's one of my favorite things about the Walking Dead story is the character of Rick. But they could always make you love Rick and love Lori as well. It could, you know, it's not saying it's going to happen, but it could theoretically. We'll see. Yeah, we're only two in. I need to quit worrying so much about it. So we then move on to the opening credits, and I only even point them out here because if you guys check out Bear McCreary's blog, we, inter- we interviewed him uh, episode three, I believe. He's the composer for The Walking Dead. And if you go to bearmccreary.com slash blog, I believe, he has little bits of information about a lot of the shows he works on including episode one of The Walking Dead. And when he was talking about that, he had clips of the music, what he was thinking about when he wrote them. And he made the interesting point, something I've never heard of any show doing before, that the music and the theme song will be slightly different in every episode. He's going to add layers. He's going to take things away. He's going to change it ever so slightly. And granted, we just watched the episode. We didn't have time to like go back and see what the differences are. But when the episode drops later today or early tomorrow morning on iTunes, I'm definitely going to be comparing to see what did he change in the theme song? So it's going to be sound very similar, but we're going to have six different versions by the time the season's over with. Very cool. Yeah, that is very cool. I like it when when people think outside the box like that. Um, like Fringe, if you're following Fringe, oh, there's, definitely, yeah. there's a couple of things like with the open of that show that they have done differently that are very much along the same lines of what you're talking about. And uh, so that kind of stuff really makes me happy. Or even going back farther than that, The Simpsons has been doing that for years, but kind of in a different way, I guess. That's more in your uh, in your face than than uh, the, this Walking Dead stuff we're talking about, though, isn't it? Right, m- right, much more subtle. If I hadn't read that uh, that blog, is I don't think I would even have noticed. So then there's a slow spinning zoom back into the tank. This is uh, kind of backwards of the last shot of the last episode, the first episode of the show. We move back into the tank where Rick is answering the voice on the radio. The voice gives him some instructions. Zombies are, instruct- are distracted while eating the horse, so that gives Rick time to run towards an alley where he meets Glenn, who was the guy who was on the radio, and they scurry up a ladder to safety. 
think there was another hint here, if I remember correctly. Um, well, I wouldn't say a hint. It, it's pretty blunt. I mean, the, the zombies are trying to climb up the ladder, which, again, I think is another zombie act that we wouldn't expect. Um, they weren't being particularly successful, though. No, no. Um, but we're, as we go on, there's a few other clues that these zombies are a little bit more intelligent, I would say, than the usual zombie fare. There's, uh, it's either in the other voicemail that we haven't played that I've heard, or it's in one of the tweet tweets that are coming up that you're going to read. But somebody points out the fact that the zombies are doing certain things, and that's technically not a, it's not what zombies do. But yeah, but I don't have a problem with that. I mean. You know, I I personally wouldn't want to watch a new show about zombies if I already knew what the zombies were going to be like. You know, if they're different, you know, that's why for me, Star Trek, the different Star Trek shows, I was excited each time one came on because it was going to be different. Yeah, it's Star Trek, but it's got this twist on it. And if I knew that the zombies in the Walking Dead TV show were going to be just like the zombies in the all the zombies movies, all but for the zombies movies that I've seen, I wouldn't be too gung ho about it. So the fact that they're different, that they, like you said, might be a little more intelligent than quote unquote normal. I think it's wonderful. There are a lot of different zombies in the zombie spectrum. If you think about it, you have your voodoo zombies, you have your infected zombies, you have your, you know, zombies that are coming back from the grave because of the zombie apocalypse. You have your really fast, you know, 28 days later style zombies. You have your really, you know, slow shambling classic you know, Night of the Living Dead zombies. It's kind of cool to see them take things from all those and kind of incorporate them and give us something a little bit different. Don't so forget the ex-wife zombies. <laughs> I think these zombies are probably closer. I've seen a lot of zombie movies. I think they're probably closer to the Romero ones. Um, the first zombie you ever seen in a Romero movie, it runs about as fast as any zombie we've seen in The Walking Dead so far. He uses a rock. Later on in the series, they teach a zombie to use a – or a zombie picks up a gun and uses it. Another zombie gets taught how to use a tape recorder and some other stuff. So I, I think it's closest to the Romero stuff, but most of the other zombie fare out there seems to deviate and make zombies much less uh, – gives them not even the, the capability of any intelligence. I, I kind of like what Walking Dead and, and Romero do though. So what you're saying is there is some precedent for – Quote, yes, unquote, in the Romero zombies. stuff. In the Romero stuff, I think most right, especially others... uh, Day of the Dead, right, where the guy especially, is just uh, yeah. doing the experiments. I thought it was a nice nod to Romero to the original Dawn of the Dead that they ended. Up, they were in a department store. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Um, but yeah, Brad, like you're saying, there is some precedent, but I think most zombie stuff diverges from that precedent, almost creating a secondary one. Because um, there's a lot of non-Romero zombie stuff out there. His is the only one before this that really f- played by those similar rules anyway. But, you know, it's it's going to remain to be seen as the show goes on how much, how intelligent, how much capability of uh, learning these zombies have. So Rick, or Clint Eastwood, the new sheriff in town, as Glenn calls him, and I'm kind of calling Glenn Hurley 2.0 at this point, uh, he seems like a worthy successor to the Hugo Reyes throne. They quickly get acquainted. They climb down another ladder into another alley, and they radio for help. And at that point, T-Dog and Morales jump out of a uh, door inside of a building, and they've got baseball padding and bats, and they take out two zombies while everyone else runs inside the department store. That was a pretty cool scene, I have to say, when they came out dressed in <laughs> in the armor and just went to town on those zombies. I, I, that tickled me. Yeah, I was calling it baseball padding, but did anybody else get a really good look at exactly what they were wearing? I, I think you're on. I think it was like some catcher's equipment, 
And, uh, you know, because you get your shin guards and your chest protector and your mask out of that. Because that store seemed to have a pretty wide variety of materials available. Lab coats and baseball bats. and Yeah, I'd say sporting goods is a safe way to go. I mean, we'll get to watch it again, but it was either like hockey goalie equipment or, or catcher's equipment or something like that. All right, so inside the department store, Andrea is not happy with Rick. We're introduced to Andrea, Morales, Jackie, and T-Dog, who are kind of the main group of survivors here. So Andrea holds a gun to Rick's head, and before being pulled back by Morales and Jackie, Rick's noise and shooting have drawn a bunch of zombies and trapped them all inside the store, so that's why Andrea is not happy with him at all. The zombies are trying to break through the glass doors, and they are slowly but surely succeeding. Rick says he was just trying to follow the helicopter, but the other survivors think he hallucinated it, and at that point they hear gunshots on the roof. Yeah, I guess we should go back a little bit to when Rick is being led... Well, he's not really being led. He, he's gotten the instructions from Glenn about how to get across, and he's just firing off shot after shot. And I think he mentions that he has 14 or 16 bullets, and he uses every single one. Yeah, so I he, counted, and did I type it he up? He said he had a full clip. I, I think I heard him fire 14 shots, but I'll have to re-listen to it later. And, and again, that has, as Mike brought up in the voicemail, that you know, we have consequences here. You know, you can't just go around firing off a gun. Um, I think around this point, or maybe a little bit later, somebody says, yeah, they're like dogs, basically. You know, they hear I a noise. I think that might be later, gonna, but yeah. Yeah, they're all going to go towards the noise. I kind of like that analogy, kind of going back to the other stuff we were talking about, about their intelligence. I think dog is a good way to look at it. You can teach them some things. They can figure out some stuff. You know, they're not that smart. That seems to be about the right intelligence level. I was waiting for Brad to jump in with a disparaging remark about cats, which I would fully agree with, but I guess not. No, I, I can't make one up either. It's got to come from the heart, you know? I, I understand. I understand, sir. So, like I said before, they heard gunshots coming from the roof, so they run up there, and that's where we're introduced to Merle Dixon, who is sniping zombies from the roof. And things quickly turn ha- hostile. Uh, Dixon's hurling racial epithets epithets at T-Dog, and then he severely beats him up, hits Rick in the process. Dixon pulls a handgun and declares himself in charge of the group when Rick, or Officer Friendly, as he's later referred to, comes up behind him, hits him in the, in the head with the butt of a rifle, and then handcuffs him to a pipe on the roof. Did anybody else cheer at that point? <laughs> I think I think you you pretty much have to, otherwise you're a racist. Yeah, I don't know too much about screenwriting, but I'm going to guess they don't want us to like Dixon so much. <laughs> Not at all. And this is, of course, where we get a lot of the lines we've seen in trailers so far, which is, uh, we survived this by pulling together, not apart. And all I am anymore is just a man looking for his wife and son. Anybody who gets in the way, that's going to lose. Hey, Jordan. Yes, sir? Leave the southern accents to the British, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can deal with that. Did anybody- Michael, Michael Rooker's made a great career out of playing total jerks just like this. <laughs> Where else have I seen him? Henry uh, Portrait of a Serial Killer, uh, most notably, probably. Also, he plays uh, Brandy Spenning's dad in Mallrats, the one who gets the stink palm. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was also in the movie Splice with uh, Nathan Fillion. Right. Splice? Not, was that Splice? Was that Splice or something else? No, Slither. Oh, Slither, yeah, yeah. His character in Mallrats made me hate him so much that this is actually the first thing I've liked that actor in since I've seen Mallrats. <laughs> and that one scene where he's standing on the edge of the building holding a sniper rifle when they come up and discover him up there. Just really cool uh, the way it was uh, shot and framed. Just like, you know, 
hey, I'm this, uh, here I am sniping. What are you going to do about it? One thing that kind of struck me as a little bit off here was that um, it, it seems like Rick pulled it together really fast. When you think about, I mean, how long ago could it have been from when he was in the tank with no clue what was going on and being scared pretty much out of his mind? And now, all of a sudden, he's kind of giving the speeches about, we're no white and black here anymore. We're all, you know, like you said, I'm just a man looking for his family. Like, all of a sudden, he seems to have it all very together. I don't know. I mean, Rick's never dealt with zombies before. He has dealt with coked-up racists before, I'm pretty sure. So, it's two different situations. Yeah, but I, I tend to agree with John. And You know, when when he held the gun up to Merle's head and said, you know, I'm just a, a wife... Uh, a man looking for his wife and son, you know, and there ain't nobody here just, and there are no black people, no white people. It's just the dead. You know, he, he, he seems to have accepted the fact awfully quickly that the, the okay, the dead are, are living or the, are, you know, rising up again and becoming the undead. And it's like, he's, what I'm trying to say is yes, John, it did seem like he grasped everything really, really quickly and it's like he has a hundred percent understanding of what the situation is right now, and we'll see it again later with when uh, Andrea wants to take the necklace. You know, I know we'll get to that in a second, but he's he says out loud, he says, "Well, I don't think those rules apply anymore." Has it really been that long? Has he really given up that quickly to think that the rules don't apply anymore? Right, especially since he just saw a helicopter. Exactly. I don't know. I think he's just trying to assimilate and, and trying to figure out what's going on and try, trying to deal with it. I mean, Rick, I mean, even, even, and I mean, his character is all about coping. You know what I mean? He's usually the one who, when, the, you know, the, the solid feces hits the rotary oscillator, is the one who comes, calms everybody down and has a plan. So I didn't really see that as, as being too far out of character. I don't think it was out of character at all, but I, like John, I think it happened a little too quickly. And, and let's just remember that. We know his character. A lot of people have no idea what is out of character or in character for Rick. You know what I mean? Uh, no, that's exactly true. And, that, and this goes back to what I said earlier about it. Kind of, it's being very hard for me to go at this like I've never read the story before. So the survivors are on the roof trying to contact their base camp, but an incoming storm is scrambling the signal. So they decide to attempt escape through a drainage tunnel in the basement. That was uh, convenient, having an, an architect or whatever she was. I mean, it didn't, uh, I don't city planning office yeah, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I don't. Mean, I don't mean to nitpick. It's not something that bothered me. It was just kind of like a giggle at the time. I and think Jackie's it, one of our new characters, right? I think at this point, I feel comfortable in saying that I can really tell that Frank Darabont didn't direct this episode, and that the same person that wrote the first episode didn't write this episode and that may not be the case i'm assuming but it does not feel like the first episode to me i think it picked up a lot at the end but we'll leave the end for when we get to it so they go down to the basement and glenn with the encouragement of rick lays down the law about the tunnel trip uh, everybody's kind of got conflicting opinions but he tells them how it's going to be so he and morales scout it out but find the plot the path is blocked with rebar and a rat-eating zombie. And there's a couple interspersed scenes here. I'm kind of consolidating them into uh, their collective parts, but that's basically what happened there. The rat-eating zombie was awesome. Why was it awesome? He was scary, and I didn't expect him to be there. Did okay. you not like the rat-eating zombie? Well, I'm, I'm trying to save all of my negative comments for the end. 
No, I didn't care for the rat eating zombie. Why didn't you like this particular zombie, though? Let me just uh, make a all-encompassing comment that I thought the zombies in this episode looked like the makeup people said, oh, that's good enough. You're going to be moving and nobody's going to be looking at you that close anyway. They won't be able to tell that we didn't finish the job. I think you might be thinking too hard. You know, I watched the, the first episode again, so it was fresh in my mind. Then I was able to tune in for the second one, and I thought, they must have had two d- separate makeup companies do these two different episodes, because it, it was like night and day for me. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, or Danny Downer, and I'll save you know my or comments Bradley later. Bummer. Or Bradley Bummer. I like that one, too. Okay, let me just tell the listeners. I'm a nice guy, but I tend to be a glass, like Glenn in this episode, he was a glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> I tend to be a half glass half empty kind of guy. And I think that makes for interesting discussion sometimes. I tend to be a glass half vodka kind of guy. So then we cut to Dixon and T-Dog who are on the roof, still trying the radio. And Dixon tries to get T-Dog to hacksaw the cut up, cuffs off, giving us a nice uh, check off the gun. But T-Dog isn't really buying it, so Dixon continues to be racist. The acting in this episode is atrocious. This scene in particular. I was just about to say how much I like T-Dog. I thought thought it was a pretty good scene. Yeah, I I don't have any of the problems that Brad has with this at all. I want to love... I know, that's fine. And I, I, I ain't mad at you guys. I hope you're not mad at me. For some reason, this episode just, just maybe it's because I'm comparing it to my experience from last week. But for some reason, this episode just hit me the wrong way, and I don't like that feeling at all. Send hate mail to Brad at Brad at halfhourwasted.com. I found it interesting, and I, I must say, appreciated that they kept T Dog as kind of a very gray character. I mean, yes, you like we talked about earlier, you automatically hate Merle Dixon because of all the the racist comments, but they don't make uh, T-Dog, you know, just a shining light on a hill either. He has some issues as the episode goes on and uh, makes some statements and does some other things that make him not exactly the knight in shining armor that maybe another show would make him. I get what you're saying, Jordan, about about T-Dog, though, instead of, you know, having, you know, we have Michael Rooker's character who's obviously supposed to be, you know, um, a villain, you know, because of his racist attitudes and everything else. But you know, on the opposite, it would have been very easy just to make T Dog very virtuous and you know, very much you know the good guy and just play, paint everything quite literally black and white. <laughs> but uh, it, again, you know, that's a good point that you bring. They, they kind of paint the characters the way real people are in more in shades of moral, uh, moral shades of gray. Yeah, it's more interesting this way. I wonder if the non-comic reader uh, who is watching the show is wondering, I wonder if that happened in the book. I wonder if that person's in the book. And do you think they're even on that same train of thought at all? I would think the average TV watcher doesn't even know it's based on a comic, quite honestly. That's true. Yeah, like I said, my wife is watching it cold after having no experience with the comic at all. At all. And she's not you know, trying to compare it in any way to what would happen in the book or what she thought would happen or whatever. She's just taking it on very much on face value. I think I'm enjoying it more than I realized, more than I expected to. Enjoying the fact that they're diverging from the path. When I first heard that, I thought, oh boy, that's going to you know, mess things up. 
but I'm really enjoying not knowing what's going to happen next. Definitely. It, like I said last episode, I mean, I was on the edge of my seat last episode and this episode too, even though some of the set pieces were familiar and one of the, you know, the, the thing that gives the episode its title is something we know from the book, how they get there and the circumstances surrounding it are all very different. And it's very cool as a person who's overly familiar with the source material, not to know every bit and piece that's going to come up around the bend. So Rick and Andrea are bonding in the lobby. She apologizes for threatening with a gun, and then he shows her how to actually take the safety off of that gun. They discuss the legality of looting, as you brought up before, John, and they talk about Andrea's younger sister, Amy, who we saw back at the camp earlier in this episode and in the pilot as well. And at that point, the zombies break through the first of two layers of glass doors. Yeah, I think this is where they, or we, while they're trying to break through, we see them like using bricks and stuff to try to break through. Um, so there's another little clue that, you know, I don't, I don't think in the books um, or in most of your zombie material, like they would pick up and use tools to, to do something like that. So that's cool. Just another little tip off as to, you know, what their intelligence level is like. Without spoiling anything, I want all of the TV watchers to make a mental note of Rick and Andrea and the scene with the safety in the gun. Oh, definitely. And did anyone else think that those two actors, um, I'm for blanking on her name, Andrea, Andrea, she's Lori Holden. Did you think she and uh, and our Rick had some chemistry there in that scene? Define chemistry. Uh, sexual chemistry. Mm, I never thought that. I, I didn't I didn't pick that up. There was some chemistry. I don't know if I felt like a sexual tension thing going on, but it's very possible they, they, they could go in that direction, but uh, I didn't feel it right there. I um, thought it might be them taking a stab at mudding the waters a bit, and uh, if we're going to have the already triangle of Shane, Rick, and Lori, maybe add in a uh, an extraneous number there on the edge just to keep things interesting. Did the fact that these two people were standing in the lobby in full view of the zombies, <laughs> did that bother anybody? Because if I'm standing in a lobby that where I can see the zombies and they're breaking through, trying to break through the glass, don't you think I'm like tempting the zombies to continue to do that? But if I move out of the field of view of the zombies, you know, then they might forget that I was even there and turn around and walk away. Well, they were on the roof for large stretches of time. I mean, are we assuming that the zombies were still hammering away when they were up there? I'm talking about the fact that in this scene, they're hanging out talking about the safety, talking about the jewelry, talking about, you know, her sister. The whole time, it's like a five-minute long scene where they're standing there where all the zombies can see them. Right, but what I'm saying is they were also up on the roof for large stretches of time, much longer than five minutes, and if the zombies were continuing to hammer away at the glass there, then maybe they just decided it didn't make a difference. I mean, they, they don't say one way or the other, but... Now that you mention it, I see your point, but to answer your question of did it bother me, I, I guess it didn't at the time. I thought it was kind of funny that they were just pounded on the glass while everybody, you know, there wasn't much they could do at that point, I guess, but I didn't take it to the next level that they should be out of sight. Because, you know, like, compared I to... Think, I think you feel sympathy for the zombies, Brad. You feel, like, you feel bad the zombies are being tempted. It'd be like dangling a cheeseburger... <laughs> in front of somebody, you know, on the other side of a piece of glass. <laughs> Say, oh, wow. look at this delicious cheeseburger that you can't have. You know, I think you feel bad for the zombies. You know well, what? Feeling bad for the zombies is probably a good segue into our public service announcement that I'd like to play. Yeah. Yeah. 
Every year, thousands of undead Americans like Buster go missing. Are they really missed though, you ask? Not by other zombies, no. But if your dad was a zombie, you'd want to know where he was. Buster might be a dad. Just because he's a zombie doesn't mean he's a bad person. Let's not hold it against him. He might just be looking for his zombie kids. Maybe he owes some guy some zombie money. Somebody's got to be looking for him. If you find Buster, please call 516-468-7912. I don't think we saw Buster this episode, which was kind of a letdown, but... Bravo, though, Brad, on the bit. Very funny. Like zombie father, like zombie son. Think that wasn't... It, won't that, you? Was, that wasn't me. I'm sorry, Dwight Brad. Or not <laughs> yeah. Dwight. Uh, that uh, was, what is it? Keith Bradley. Keith Bradley. <laughs> sorry. That was um, clearly somebody that liked the show. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I liked the show. I was just... I'm a bit disappointed. Um, no, to John's point, I was waiting. I was excited. Oh, we're going to see Buster. We're going to see Buster. I don't think we ever saw him at all. Made me kind of sad. Well, maybe they're going to hold him out, you know, for episode three or four or five or six, you know, yeah, make you back. want him, make you need Buster. And then when you least expect it, Zomb- uh, Buster will come to your house and personally bite you. Well, I, I heard on Zombietainment Weekly that uh, Buster was holding out for too much money. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted fresh brains in his trailer, you know, every, every half hour or so. And he just, his demands were too high. So they had to cut his contract. I hate to... Maybe I don't hate, but I, I hope it's not annoying anybody that I keep going back. It seems like I keep going back to the TV show Fringe. I'm just, I'm loving that show also, but you know, there's a character in every single episode of Fringe called the Observer. He's a bald guy, and sometimes he's a part of the story, sometimes he's not. He just walks through the frame, and boom. You know, sometimes it's a half a second shot. But I think that would be funny if Buster was in like every single episode, you know, or if the Observer was in every single episode. That would work too. Yeah, that would kind of ruin it for me. <laughs> what if you just saw Uwatu in the background one day, like in the clouds somewhere? You know, 95% of the people listening to this just now went, what's an Uwatu? <laughs> yeah, but the, the 5%, they all liked it. So in our next scene, the survivors reconvene on the roof after discovering the blockade in the tunnel, and they debate trying to run to a nearby construction site to use one of their vehicles because they keep the keys on site. So they discuss possible diversions, and then Rick takes interest and the zombie sense of smell, and what advantages that might afford the survivors. And at this point, as readers of the comic, we all kind of know what's coming. But um, what are your thoughts on these things, guys? Uh, do we want to? Are we going ahead to the guts, or should we go on to the next scene description and then talk about it then? Yes, let's do that. Okay. So, uh, as Glenn says, if bad ideas were Olympic events, this would take the gold, and they go in grab some gloves and lab coats and run out into the alley. And those two zombies we saw earlier that uh, were beat up by the baseball bats, they grab one of those and they bring them inside. And at this point, uh, Rick pulls out a fire axe or doesn't pull it out. He breaks it out of the wall and uh, he has some difficulty using it, but uh, he gets the zombies wallet out. He identifies the man as George Dunlap. They kind of have a moment of silence for him and he suggests that they remember the man's sacrifice. And then he takes the axe to the zombies limbs and torso over and over and over again. But at least the guy's an organ donor. I was oddly moved by the fact that Rick was taking time to basically eulogize this guy. I thought it spoke a lot to his character. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it told us kind of, kind of gives, give us more of an idea of who Rick is. He's a real stand-up guy. And he, even with all this going on all around him, he still has respect for human life. Yeah, I think that's exactly it, Jim. I think you hit the nail on the head for me right there. 
It was a crazy, crazy scene, though. They're chopping off arms and legs. They're they're axing the guy like right in the gut, you know, and, he's, and they're hanging intestines over the shoulders. And I, I won't go any further because I know Jordan is is going to get to that part. But this was like almost too long. Yeah, it 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 almost it started to feel for me like a Monty Python skit. He's not dead yet. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, Monty Python will take a joke and will run it into the ground. And somehow it ends up being hilariouser than you expected. And to me, like John said, they just it was a really, really long scene with the guts. Kind of intentionally hilarious, though, as they, as they move on through it, especially with Glenn throwing up and stuff. But uh, not to get ahead of myself, everyone is severely grossed out by the disemboweling on screen, not just us watching it. Uh, they rub the guts all over Glenn and Rick, and they hang intestines over their shoulders, like John said. Glenn eventually pukes. Andrea gives Glenn a handgun. Uh, the handgun that she used on, or almost used on Rick before, and Rick gives T-Dog the handcuff keys for Dixon. Um, did anyone else think there was some uh, chemistry between Glenn and Andrea here? I know I keep bringing this up between different characters, but I saw it a couple different places. The, the one thing, and, and this is kind of funny, I did not have see any chemistry between Andrea and, and Glenn. I, the first thing I'm thinking is, you better have the safety on now. <laughs> she's she's kind of like she's hiking up his shirt and, and sticking the gun down his pants and you know safety was definitely the first thing that came to my mind brad you were pointing out stupid things they did before and not only was you know shoving a gun down the front of your pants kind of a dumb idea but uh she also takes off her gloves after rick warned them all to not get anything on their skin she takes off her gloves to uh shove the gun down his pants i thought that was kind of a dumb move on her part yeah i'm glad you pointed that out because i don't want to be the only one who complains about this episode well wait a minute wait a minute but you can't complain about that part because if she's sticking the gun down his pants with the gloves on then she's rubbing rubbing the stuff on his skin uh true but it's she was still cutting it pretty close yeah well Well, either way it's cutting it close but if she you know the gloves are obviously covered in the stuff yeah you can't pick the gun up with with the glove on yeah you're right but it did look to me like she was being a bit reckless you know, with that, as far as getting stuff on her skin and as far as like draping in the entrails around Rick's neck and stuff, you know, I, I could have sworn it. That he almost and I think Rick takes off his glove to give T-Dog the key as well, which granted he kind of has to, as you pointed out, John, but it was still kind of weird after they spent so much time pointing it out that don't get it on your skin. Which I don't it's... even think at that point, I mean, they're kind of guessing don't get any on your skin to be safe. Oh, true. I mean, I don't think they're. I could see in your eyes, like you mentioned as well, or in an open cut or in your mouth, you know, but I don't think getting it on your skin would actually do anything. I mean, they get zombie guts blown all over them every time they shoot one. Better safe than sorry, I suppose. So Rick and Glenn go out into the alley covered in guts, and they have what I thought was, I don't know if it was over the top, but it was definitely disgusting. They had zombie hands and feet tied around their necks. Um, So it's disgusting, but the zombies seem to ignore them for the most part. But just to be safe, Glenn carries a crowbar and Rick has the fire axe from earlier. I actually liked that scene, mainly because they were both carrying weapons and, and all the other zombies weren't. And I thought that was pretty funny. Everybody, Anybody notice that the zombies' clothes are all the same shade, their same color? Kind of a purple and brown, kind of like a, I want to say, russet potato palette. Lots of, lots of dingy gray. I mean... Really, is that going to happen with everybody's clothes? Are they all going to kind of change to the same color? I mean, I understand the, the you know the costuming aspect of things, but it just and also really... they leach some of the color out of the film too, don't they? At least in the pilot, they did. 
Yeah, it did kind of look that way, and especially kinda in the like, zombie. Um, what's the movie Saving Private Ryan where they did that? I thought it was funny when uh, Glenn was like, huh, this is working. I can't believe it. And the fact that they're talking. Oh, and then the one girl zombie looks at him close enough, and he starts to realize, I'm not making zombie noises. So he starts going, <laughs> Yeah, even Rick's kind of like, would you shut up? So while they're out doing that, everyone else runs up to the roof to check on their progress. And T-Dog kind of taunts Dixon with the handcuff keys, kind of make him more of a gray character. And at this point, you know, T-Dog's been up on the roof the whole time trying to contact anybody with the radio, especially the base camp. And at this point, we go back to the base camp and uh, they hear a garbled radio transmission from T-Dog. They can't respond back, just kind of like they had the same problem in the pilot with Rick. But they argue about going into the city to rescue him. And Shane steps up and he rules it to be too dangerous. And Amy, who we mentioned earlier, is Andrew's younger sister, is not happy about it at all. Yeah, again, I'm, I'm trying to get a grasp for what they're doing with Shane. They're making him hateable. <laughs> yeah, they're making him hateable, but he has the kind of sincere relationship with Carl. Um, and they made the you know the, the the big scene after the opening shot of the premiere with him being, you know, close friends with Rick. So I don't know, but this is like the second time he was ready to leave people behind, right? I'm just trying what? to remember is uh in the in the premiere didn't he have a similar argument? No, he didn't want Laurie to go somewhere. I think. Yeah, she wanted to put up signs. To me, it, it, Shane is coming across as a coward at heart, and maybe that's deliberate. Then again, I've never been in a zombie apocalypse, so I'd probably be scared as well. But it, it just really, he's really coming across to me as looking out for number one. And if he can get some along the way, then that's great too. Now, John, you pointed out his relationship with Carl uh, in. Earlier on, I think it was in the scene, he was teaching Carl to tie knots. And then kind of in the background, they don't draw attention to it. But uh, uh, Shane calls Carl son. And to me, that was like that was almost worse than some of the other things he he's done. That is not his son, even in, if it's in a vernacular term of just like, hey, chief, he should not be calling this kid son. The issue here is still the time that has passed. Was the affair going on before Rick was, quote, dead? And I wonder if we'll get any flashbacks to fill in some of the gaps here as to what has gone down with Laurie and Shane exactly. Would everybody be cool with flashbacks? I, I think in that instance, they would work well. I mean, they're, they're kind of building up some tension or, or mystery as to how exactly this happened with them. So I think it would be cool. I'd prefer Flash Sideways. <laughs> the alternate universe where there's no zombie apocalypse? You know, going back to the whole son thing, I think that is kind of more it to me it came across more as a term of endearment or as a cultural thing on his part on on Shane's part, you know, cuz this is not the first time I've heard older men call younger boys son. It's like me, you know, I I call everybody uh every female ma'am. I just think it's kind of the same same thing there. That's the way it came across to me. I, I, I didn't think that he was actually calling him son in, in, the, in the way of, hey, I'm going to adopt you one day, boy. Oh, I definitely don't, don't think he was trying to. And I, I agree with you in terms of I probably do the same thing too. But it was just – it's adding insult to injury even if it's not technically an insult. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, whoa, hey, uh, he's not your son, buddy. Or is he? Who knows? You know, that would be – Quite a wrinkle. So then we cut back to our survivors. Uh, Rick and Glenn continue to trudge back through a crowd of the walkers. 
and it seems to be working just fine, but then at a certain point, the skies open up, rain falls down, and it begins to wash the stink off of them. The zombies perk up, and Glenn and Rick make a run for it. They hop a fence and start up a truck moments before the zombies get to them. There's all fence hopping and all kinds of stuff there. I'm pretty sure that the zombies, or a couple of them, ran up to the fence in one of the cuts. I know then after that, when they break the fence down, they kind of shamble on slowly, but I'm pretty sure they ran up to the fence in the first scene. I'll have to get another look at that to be sure. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right about that because I I vividly remember it. In fact, I even remember myself, my jaw opening, my finger pointing at the screen saying, that zombie's running. You know, I was like shocked because we had talked about how we didn't, some of us maybe didn't want him to run, run, you know, and I was like, well, he's running. This is where it started to really pick up for me. I didn't have necessarily have a problem with the earlier parts of the episode, certainly not as much as Brad, but I really began to like it at this point. I would also say that at this point for me, uh, you know, from this point on, it was a bit more palatable. And I don't want everybody to think I hated it. I didn't hate it. I was just disappointed. I had some nitpicks. But like John, from this point on, it was, quote unquote, better, a better episode. And as John pointed out, that last scene was very tense, and they kind of take a brief respite from that when uh, Rick and Glenn go and hijack a nice red sports car. Did anybody know the make or model of that? I'm not really a car guy. Wasn't it a um, a Dodge Charger? Was it? I thought it might have been a time-traveling DeLorean. <laughs> Charger I, might be right, or, or a, a Camaro, kind of like Bumblebee in the new Transformers movies. It was a Kenyan Arrow. Geo Metro. Um, but anyway, they, they hijack the car. They get the car alarm going, as uh, Rick learned that attracts zombies in episode one. And uh, Glenn takes off. He's going to bait the geeks, as he calls them, away from the loading dock of the department store. So everybody from the roof except Dixon runs downstairs to meet Rick at the loading dock. And Dixon throws a fit because he's still chained up to the to the pipe. So T-Dog goes back to get him out. But he knocks the hacksaw on the ground. And I think we're probably going to come back to that in a future episode. And then he trips... And this is probably my biggest gripe with the episode, just in that it was kind of the, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, he trips, the key flies through the air, lands in you know a quarter inch big square of pipe and goes down out of reach. So T-Dog screams that he's sorry. He leaves Dixon to die on the roof. He chains the door shut behind him. That was either, it depends how you look at it, either an awesome move or a really terrible move. And uh, Dixon curses the rest of the group from the roof as they escape. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going out on a limb as saying that uh, we're going to see Dixon again and he's going to be less one hand due to a chain uh, hacksaw. Oh, do you think they're going to go that route and not have him just cut through the chain? I think he'll probably have to cut his hand off to get out of there. Did you see the first Saw movie, Jordan? Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. Uh, I just don't think that they were necessarily going to go that route in this movie, you know, what I mean? or in the show. That, Why that was my they? yeah. That was that was my guess. I mean, I guess he could cut through the chain or the little uh, clamp on the pipe that that he's chained to. I just have like when I saw it happen, I'm like, oh, he's cutting his arm. He's cutting his uh, hand off to get out of there. And Jordan described this as a "you got to be kidding me" moment. I think I actually said that phrase out loud <laughs> when they we, when we he, he trips and yeah, when he trips and falls and it's in slow motion and it goes down. I was like, "You got to be kidding me." <laughs> Like, even if they just had to go over the side of the building rather than down that little pipe, I would have been better with it. But. Oh, yeah. I was – exactly. I was thought, really? You're going to – okay. That small, you're going to get something like that 
you know, it's really going to happen. It's just like bullseye and womp rats in your T-16 back home. They're not much bigger than two meters. <laughs> and, and yeah, 95% of the listening audience isn't going to get that joke. Which is a shame, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it, it really is. Everyone should know Star Wars trivia. So in our next scene, the remaining zombies who are still downstairs, because they, they got them away from the loading dock, I guess, so that's not exactly where the front doors are. But the, the zombies that are still at the front doors break through the last set. The survivors barely make it into the back of the box truck that Rick got from the construction site. And T-Dog tries to excuse his leaving behind of Dixon. And everybody wonders where Glenn is. Did anybody else think T-Dog was meat when he was running through the halls trying to get to the rest of the group? Yeah, yeah. like it, just because he spent those extra five seconds chaining uh, the door shut behind him, that was his uh, his final move. Yeah, I just figured... Right before, like right before he turns the last corner and he gets to the rest of the group, I figured a zombie was going to jump out and grab him. Well, you know, if you're correct that Merle will be back, and I think you're almost 100 percent correct in that, um, they'll at least have that character there as a he'll be gunning for T Dog. You know what I mean? Like they they leave that that relationship unfinished. I kind of thought that um, when there was that scene and and they were like rolling up the garage door so they could jump in the truck. For some reason, I thought like zombies were going to be behind there when they opened it up, and like like it was the wrong loading dock. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's just the feel I I, I got. I meant I baby. I meant baby. <laughs> I was expecting something to go wrong there. And then in the final scene of the episode, with the car alarm still blaring, we see a uh, a mirror image of the poster art of the you know the looking into Atlanta, or not a mirror image. I guess it's the same exact image, but in this case, Glenn is driving as fast as he can out of the city just like Rick drove his horse into the city and he shouts for joy as the music plays and the credits run. And my main thought with the end of that scene was if you were to take just these two episodes, um, and granted there's still, you know, dangling plot threads and stuff, but these two episodes to put together kind of feel like a mini movie in their own way. Yeah. I thought the, I thought the ending was uh, very interesting. Do, now, do you think, do you think people will be under the impression that Glenn has abandoned everyone and we, and he's gone? Oh, I just figured he was joyriding. Right. So, yeah. Did you think he was driving back to the base camp or? That's what I would assume because he had earlier in the episode, he had mentioned, you know, how he had come out here a lot. And and I kind of got the maybe again, but it's because I read the book, but I kind of got the impression that he was with this other group of people. You know, everybody there in the in downtown that were with this other group of people. Why would he not go back to this group of people, this quote unquote safe zone of people so yeah i just figured oh he's joyriding and he's on an open highway how many of us in a zombie apocalypse if we were in a dodge charger wouldn't drive 120 miles an hour the wrong way down a highway yeah that'd I'd, be drive cool. through, I'd drive through a mall ever since i saw blues brothers i've always wanted to do that <laughs> wearing sunglasses of course so that was episode two of the walking dead guts i i didn't like it as much as the first episode but i still liked it more than brad did i think what about what, Jim? You, I don't think you've said overall what you thought of the episode yet. What do you think? Well, since I wasn't here for the first episode, I gave the first episode an A. I really liked that a lot. I thought it was a good starting point. Let's I give, let's, give them, let's rate it with busters. One to five busters. <laughs> how, many, how many? I give the first episode five busters. I do too. I'm going to give this episode three busters. I give this episode three three busters and a gnawed brain. So like three and a half busters. Maybe I should make it two and a half busters. No, I'm gonna stick. With three. I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick with three busters. Your comments didn't sound like three busters. I'm not gonna lie. It sounded more like a yeah. two. Okay, I was just trying not to be a. a what did Jim say? Bradley Bummer. 
Yeah, I'm going to give it two busters. I was, if you'll forgive me, I was pissed off when this, when this episode was done. I want to love the show. I love the book. I love the story. I'm excited. I can't wait for next week. I want to watch this show. But I was just like, and the zombies, you know, it's almost like I could tell they were fake. I don't know. I just, I don't know what happened, guys. Maybe I had too much candy before the show came on or something. You know, I, it just seemed so different. It seemed like it was a totally different production company did the two episodes. And it just, it, it felt like somebody smacked me upside the head. Well, this is, this is what I think. I think that the first show went for drama and characterization and a few big spots of zombie violence. And I think the general TV viewing audience is thinking, hey, you know, I never really thought I could enjoy a, a zombie show, but if it's going to be like this, you know, if it's going to be more of like a Battlestar Galactica where it really doesn't matter that they're in space, it's all about the people. You know, it really doesn't matter that they're being chased by zombies. It's all about the people. I could probably get into this. And this show went in the opposite direction and did the full-scale horror movie, let's fit as many zombies on the screen as one at one time as we can and chop them with axes and rub their guts on the main characters. Uh, so it definitely changed in tone. And I think it's kind of finding itself. I mean, I know all six shows are done, so they found themselves or they didn't. We just don't know yet. But um, I think at this point, it doesn't know what it is, and maybe the audience doesn't know what it is. I mean, how do you think the forget comic book people and you know horror movie people, the people who are AMC fans that are checking this out, like what are they going to think about this one as compared to the first one? I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of people that watch True Blood that really aren't, you know, quote unquote vampire or goth people. You know what I mean? They watch it for the story. Yes, I think but it's kind of a, that, a good parallel there. Right, and I agree with you. But didn't it just change very much? Like maybe they got that out of the premiere, but this was a zombie story about zombie attack, not about the characters. Well, I think it's important to mention, like we talked about before, with the ratings. This wasn't just AMC's audience. This was twice AMC's normal audience. So we can't only consider, you know, is AMC's audience going to like this as much as like the first one? We've also kind of got a general viewership as well that might have liked this episode more because they're more interested in the violence than they are the character stuff that the AMC fans are looking for. Yeah, yeah, I can I can agree with that. I just wonder, you know, like I like it anyway. Because not only do I like the characterization and the story that we get in the book, I like zombie, crazy, horror violence. So I'm good. You know, I, I did think it was not quite as strong as the premiere, but, you know, I'm in that three buster area. And I'd probably go five for the premiere and 3.5 or so for the, for the second one. It also should be noted that the first episode had a lot more room to breathe, you know, with the extra half an hour. Uh, well, less with if you cut out the commercials. But, you know, being 90 minutes, they had more time to have those silent moments, the character moments. This one was a bit more compressed. So it'll be interesting to see as they go on. Now that they're out of the city, they're out of that cluster of zombies, what the tone of episode three is. I think once we have three episodes, it might be a bit easier to tell what is the feel of the show versus the comic. Do you think? Do you guys think that in three they connect the dots and Rick gets to Lori, or are they going to have some kind of uh, problem along the way, or are they going to just string that out longer? 
I figure he gets back to the camp in episode three. He probably doesn't find out about Lori and Shane till five or six, but he's got to get back now. I would agree. I think, you know, it's time. I keep thinking about what Darabont said. You know, Kirkman has the path. We're going to diverge from the path. I never expected to meet Andrea when we met Andrea because being book readers, we, you know, it's different for us. And I, I hesitate to even point that out. You know, that's like I was saying earlier. I wonder if the, you know, the, the TV viewer is saying, well, I wonder if this, this is how this happened in the book. And you're right. They're not. And the fact that I just even said something about Andrea, it's really pointless for me to even say that, you know, as, as book readers, we know why I said it, but. Brad, I would ask you is, are you happy with at least the portrayal of characters like Andrea? Like, are you fine that even though the situation's different, Andrea seems like Andrea, you can already tell she's going down certain paths. Andrea in the TV show now seems to me the way she seems to me to be the character that she eventually evolves into in the book. Okay. Um, I think the Andrea in the book is different than this Andrea in the TV show at the beginning of the book, but I like this Andrea. I actually like this Andrea a lot. I think she's very cute. (laughs) I cannot agree with you there. Or I'm sorry. I cannot disagree with you there. Let's get that straight. Again, I I'm having a great time watching this show. I had, you know, five busters. Where are you going to go from five busters? You can only go down or you can kick my butt just like you did last week. And so obviously that didn't happen for me. I'm not discouraged. I think I was a little disappointed. But uh, like I said, I'm already jonesing for next week. And we've now said what we think about the episode, but we'd like to hear from everybody else who's listening on Forum for Geeks, on our voicemail, uh, through Twitter at WDTV Podcast, and uh, through email, because we are most interested in what you guys have to think, the general audience. Let us know. Yeah, and we have some uh, more stuff to play and, uh, and to read from members. So I think we're going to go now to our Tweeting Dead episode, which is where we read some tweets that have come in. And here is our very cool Tweeting Dead sound effect. I'm very proud of this. All right, so we have some really cool tweets coming into WDTV Podcast. I'm going to quickly run through some of the... Uh, very special ones starting uh, on November 1st, right after we played our premiere episode. Fueled by Brit says, Walking Dead TV podcast is now following me. My day is made. And I just had to read that one because that made our day. That was pretty cool. And then Brad Milo said, I think it rocked. So thank you for that, Brad. <laughs> You're welcome. We also have Peter Parker, 1810. No he- way. He says that uh, my wife fits the bill, meaning that she never read the comic, and she loved it and plans on reading the book, which is exactly what we wanted to hear. You know, that's kind of the idea of this whole uh, project that we're doing. We're trying to expose people to the book and also be podcast rock stars. And we're getting there. Mandy302 says, loved it. Not just a show about zombies. It actually has a plot and a really good one. Can't wait to see how it develops. You know, I'm glad I'm glad people are recognizing that, you know, and, and, and I know we've said this before, but The Walking Dead, it has zombies in it, but it's really about the people. And I think it's cool that the viewers are getting that. Illy Pagey says, I absolutely love The Walking Dead. A zombie, a zombie, a zombie apocalypse TV series is for real. One of my dreams come true. 
She also said, I haven't read the books, but now I'd really like to go out and buy them, which is really cool. Alessande says, we thought it was fabulous. Uh, the only thing I have to say is give me more. Uh, let's see. Someone else very new to it. I think I'll keep watching. I really want to know how it hap how it all happened, so I'll stay tuned. That's from, uh, I cannot pronounce that, Do Casio. I don't know how to say her twi or, uh, Twitter name, but I told her after that if she's watching to find out how it all happened, she might be watching for, you know, a little while. Yeah. Toonbird says, love the show which is awesome. This was an interesting one. Uh, a guy by the name of Orosan said he didn't like the show, and we asked him why, and he said it was unintentionally funny. The lead is a terrible actor. Brad, you had mentioned that you think Rick, Link, Mr. Lincoln's doing a fine job with Rick, but there's some other acting issues. Yeah, and you know what's funny is that uh, I responded to that tweet um, from my own uh, Twitter account, and I said, okay, I said something to the effect of, Okay, I'll say it since nobody else is going to say it. What the hell show were you watching? Because I, like I said, I loved the first episode. And now, after seeing episode two, I'm wondering if this guy might be onto something. I'm hoping he's not. Did anybody find episode one unintentionally funny? No. No, I mean, that, I, that I didn't get. I don't understand that at all. Um, his original tweet really, it was like, I just didn't understand any of it because i didn't you know i didn't experience what he experienced I, it was really it was really odd you know i think it's interesting that you know as much as we liked it that somebody didn't and i, I want to hear those those uh those opinions and stuff but it, it you know it's just and nothing's perfect like everything is subjective and and that that continues to be interesting to me but it always it always kind of sucks, definitely, when something elicits a strong and emotional reaction from you, and so you try to pass it on to somebody else, and they either have the opposite reaction or no reaction. Like I can think when I first showed my dad uh, the movie Unbreakable, the uh, Bruce Willis movie, and there's yeah. a scene in there where, not to spoil Unbreakable, but it's a guy who kind of finds out he has superpowers, is kind of indestructible, and he kind of loses faith, and his son pulls out a gun and goes, look, I'll shoot you. And he just pulls this gun out from nowhere. I'm going to shoot you and prove to you you can't die. And that had a strong emotional reaction to me when I showed it to my family. They laughed at it, and it was just kind of like the worst feeling ever of, no, don't you guys get it? So I definitely get what you're, what you're saying there, Brad. It's, yeah. it's weird. Yeah, and I think I actually said out loud to myself after reading this tweet that, that this guy said, I think I, I said something like, he just doesn't get it. And that's fine, you know. I don't get Max, but some people get Max, you know, like you, Jordan. Max? Macintosh, Apple. Computers. Oh, oh, I'm thinking MAX. I'm like Max oh. Headroom. I don't know what's going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I, I mean, I understand. And, you know, but yeah, it's it's always weird when two different people can have a vastly different emotional response to the same material. Isn't it funny how. And I'm sorry to derail the whole Tweeting Dead segment, but isn't it funny how people take things so personally? I think different things are personal for different people. You could tell yeah. me that the shows I, I love suck and I don't care, but if we get in, like, a baseball conversation, like, I might stab you. <laughs> you know, that's just everybody's got their, you know, their thing, I yeah. guess. Okay, so from our buddy Daryl, who is the voice one two three on Twitter, he says, "I thought the Morgan scene with his zombie wife was just heartbreaking. 
Uh, yeah, that was a that was some scene in the uh, in the premiere. I I agree with Daryl. Ducky is lost. Who is our other good friend, Lynn, who leaves a lot of tweets for us. Uh, she said she agreed about no celebrity cameos, which we kind of talked about earlier on the show. Um, yeah. And she then mentioned, what about the other homages? You know, did we have a problem with uh, the things that they were talking about on the Ain't It Cool News contest, where they said that there's a lot of Stephen King kind of nods in it, which I didn't even pick up on, but apparently the crows are like from the stand. Um, in that first opening scene, they show the crows. And there's also, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, it's 217 on a clock in reference to room 217 in The Shining. Yeah, if that kind of stuff is bothering you, like those minute things, you might want to see a doctor because that's you're really paying way too much attention. Yeah, I think I love like nods that a lot of people don't get. I love finding them and I love reading about them afterwards and saying, oh, I didn't catch that. I, th- I think that's cool stuff, adding layers, I, you know. I do too. I agree. I didn't. I didn't happen to get any of those. Um, I'm not a Stephen King fan or, or anything like that. But, but I do love those, those types of things. Yeah, I think it's really, really cool that people pay respect to other forms of entertainment in that way, especially when they're that subtle. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you know they're not subtle. Like, you know, my favorite thing one of those types of deals is in predator two when with Danny Glover and he finds the trophy room and he sees an alien skull, you know, that's not subtle that's out there, but it's because those guys love the alien movies. That's why they did it. That's why these people in walking dead did it because they love the Stephen King. They love the stand, you know, the, and all that stuff. I, that I think I find that to be very, very cool. Does that mean we're going to have to sit through two terrible walking dead versus the stand movies now? Ha <laughs> ha. All right. Groven1023, which is another friend of our podcasting family, says Brad Milo needs more brains. Oh, you know what that was? I was bored one day and it was slow at work. So I, I got on the Twitter account and I said, one of our uh, cast member, one of our podcasting, one of our crew needs more brains. Who is it? What do you say, listener? And so that's why he said that. Excellent. Zero Fights said he liked the cliched start to the premiere. It's effective. Um, he said he'd wonder if it would be controversial controversial with the, uh, the child getting killed early on in the show. He had a lot of other cool things to say, too. Um, I can't read them all, but he's a good tweeter. And uh, Alessandi, one more time, says, More, more, more. There can never be enough. The Walking Dead. So I want to thank everybody for uh, using the tweets. Like we said, as the show goes on, this will be our last time that we release on uh, very late Sunday night slash early Monday morning. I think from now on we'll be doing a Tuesday release schedule and we'll be able to read tweets from that show from from that particular week. So uh, it'll be easier to catch up, but we're going to continue our our Tweeting Dead segment because uh, we enjoy it and we like the feedback, so keep them coming. I'm flabbergasted by the uh, the power of Twitter, you know, and just the fact that people are using it to respond to uh, to our show. I think that's very cool. Agreed. So why don't we do some reviews that we have gotten and that email, and uh, I think we may have to save that last voicemail for next time. We'll see how it goes. Why don't you... Go ahead with the uh, reviews, Brad. Okay. Uh, Our first review, uh, five stars, incidentally, 
uh, came in on uh, November the 1st by Saul Medina. It's a super detailed, a great way to get caught up to speed. Thank Saul you, Medina, Saul. the winner of the uh, hardcovers and the zombie magnets. Ah, very cool. Very cool. Uh, Dr. Groove Chicken says, Gurgle Gack. I think that's a very cool review. We actually had a, uh, I'd like to meet a zombie named Dr. Groove Chicken. I think that'd be cool. He's he one it, funky, funky zombie. He gave it five stars or five busters. Grapnel44 says, great podcast, five stars, wonderful podcast, great for fans of The Walking Dead. Thank you, Grapnel. Netboy101, fantastic show, five stars. Great work by these guys. Soon after seeing the premiere, I was hunting for a Walking Dead podcast and was lucky enough to find this one first. Thank you very much, sir. They have expanded on my enjoyment of the show and they even have me hunting for a comic shop to buy the books. Even though they love the books, they don't spoil the show, which is awesome. And it's very difficult to do that, but we are trying very hard to, to do that. And uh, I'm glad you like it. Uh, we have one more by Exploring the Multiverse. That's probably somebody we know, right? What, Victor, Victor and or... Bill, I believe. Yeah, it's one of those two guys, right? There's, one of them there's crazy other, cats. Yeah, there's other guys in their uh, group. Victor and Bill are the ones that are like on our forums and stuff. They're, they're good guys. Cool. He says, these guys are true fans. Yes, we are, sir. Five stars. Just like Legion of Dudes, Half Hour Wasted, and Speak of the Devil. The Walking Dead TV podcast is quality podcasting. The guys give an in-depth review of the show without spoiling the comic book. And uh, just for, for new listeners who may not be familiar with our other shows, uh, Legion of Dudes is a show that John and Russ and Jordan and Jim are a part of. Half Hour Wasted is one that I do with my friends uh, Bill and Frank. Speak of the Devil is John and Russ. and Jim's on that too, isn't he? Yes, he is. And uh, the Walking Dead TV show uh, podcast is what you're listening to right now. So if you like listening to us and you like hearing our voices and you want to hear more and you've listened to all the Walking Dead TV podcast episodes, you can check out one of those other shows and hear our dulcet tones. And you can find them all at uh, hhwlod.com and walkingdeadtv.com. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. They're all uh, the uh, Half Hour Wasted and the Legion of Dudes that come out on the one feed does speak of the devil come out on that same feed john speak of the devil is its own feed so you can go to the hhwlod and there'll be a little subscribe button or you can search speak of the devil on itunes and that is daredevil all the time all the daredevil you can eat and uh you know being a a uh, honorary dude i would just want to say that you guys all of you guys on your various shows uh do a fantastic job and i'm i'm happy to be able to participate in this uh, walking dead show it's awesome likewise it's wonderful to have you and brad's too modest to mention uh half hour wasted but it's an awesome oh well, he already mentioned it but not too he, he's not playing it up the show is awesome it's three guys who sit around and talk about the same stuff you and your friends do and they have a great time doing it, and you might even get to hear Bill's family in the background cutting it up and uh, having a great time. Thanks, Jordan. No problem. So why don't we do that email and see where we're at after that? Yes, sir. I got that email right here, and it kind of goes back to something we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. I think this is what I was thinking of earlier when I mentioned it. Uh, David Parker uh, wrote us an email. He says, this is just just nitpicking. But there were a couple of moments in the first episode that didn't strike me as zombie-esque behavior. Picking up teddy bears, opening doors. 
Obviously, zombies are fictional beings, but at least according to zombie lore, it's generally agreed upon that zombies don't have the intelligence to open doors or would care enough to pick up teddy bears. It seems that a zombie has that has the capacity to do that must also have some capacity to think, reason, or have feelings, which are not traits zombies are known for. Since the zombies in The Walking Dead do display these behaviors, is it fair to say that they are really zombies? Or perhaps just raging cannibalistic shells of their former selves? I know it's splitting hairs, but I think it's an important distinction. Thinking zombies versus non-thinking zombies should have a large impact on the emotional side of the show. Thanks for your time, David. He makes some good points, and I and I think we've already kind of addressed some of them. Um, I, you know, if all zombies were the same, it would, for me personally, it would kind of get boring. And I also think at this point, uh, zombies, the word zombie has become a generic term for undead beings, much like aspirin used to be a brand name, and now it's a generic. Uh, Kleenex is on the verge of being a generic word, you know, for all facial tissue. Q-tip. Um, Q-tip, yes. Velcro. Uh, Xerox, Velcro, those are all brand names that are on the verge of being generified, and I think zombie is, is approaching that. Yeah, you're probably right. And not, not to eat a dead horse, uh, pun intended, but um, like I said before, this is very much in line with the Romero zombies. They do open doors. They do use basic tools. It's kind of just a residual memory thing, though, not necessarily feelings. Yeah, I'm okay with it. We, we kind of, like you said, we kind of covered this already and uh, just a little different take. I like noticing it, but it doesn't bother me. No, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, thank you, David, for your email. And for anybody else who would like to send us a comment, you can do that at comments. Is that plural, right? Comments at G, uh, <laughs> comments at the walking, no. Comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Well said. Kinda. All right, you know what? We're going to play our final voicemail here and uh, so we can kind of put a wraps on the premiere and, uh, and episode two. And next show will be fresh for episode three. Here goes. <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> You're having a lot of problems with that tonight, aren't you, John? Yes. I think we'll leave this in for comedy. Okay. Here we go. Hi, my name is Paula, and I'm calling you from Northern California. I actually reside in Oakland. I decided to call in because you were looking for somebody who was uh, pretty much no history with the comic book, and that would be me. I have seen zombie movies over over the years, and I like them. I can't say I'm a fanatic, but um, I actually uh, was working at Haunting House this season, and I was doing special effects makeup, and um, the head makeup artist is pretty much like a zombie fanatic, and he had mentioned to me to check out um, some pictures from The Walking Dead. Um, new TV series that were going to be coming out. So that's how I first kind of heard about The Walking Dead. I didn't know anything about the comic book, so I went ahead and went online, was looking for the images, and um, found them, and they were really cool to kind of help me with my makeup and uh, design for the characters. How did I find you guys? Well, I was actually, I actually don't have cable, <laughs> like your other listener, and I was looking for a way to watch the series online, so I was typing in The Walking Dead, doing Google searches, and I ended up coming across your podcast, 
And um, I actually went and downloaded it. And based off the few reviews that were there, I decided to go ahead and get all of your episodes. I found the, the show online and was able to actually download it and watch it. And I liked it. So there, there were a, a few things that kind of struck me. First, I was looking at facial hair, thinking, well, he couldn't have been out for too long. I mean, he doesn't look too unkempt. But I was like, why isn't he, like, starving to death? Like, I understand some adrenaline and everything, but at some point I'm like, doesn't he have, like, no energy or something? So, you know, that was kind of weird to me. I was wondering why he wasn't trying to get food, like, sooner. I, it did really have a feel of a movie to me. Um, as of now... Um, you know, I'm I'm totally going to be watching this every week. I, I don't know. It seems totally awesome. I can't wait for the next episode. And I plan on listening to you guys. I, I finished out the podcast. It was great. I liked how you guys went over things and, and kind of, you know, pulled out. So, yeah. Um, hopefully, you know, I'll get a chance to go rate you guys online. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thank you, Paula. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool that she was a special effects makeup artist and was searching the Walking Dead TV show for makeup ideas, and that's how she found the show. See the power of reviews, people. You guys gave us great reviews, and that's what caused her to pick our show. So thanks. What would you guys think about the comment about Rick not being hungry or washed out? You know, I thought that was, you know, a pretty good comment. I... I thought in terms of the horse, which we mentioned, like how is the horse healthy and ready to go after all of these weeks of everybody being dead? But I didn't think of Rick, that he should be more kind of, you know, hungry and tired and weak. Have you ever um, been hospitalized, John? Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm being serious. I mean, I've, I've had two back surgeries. I've had, uh, you know, a couple, couple of kidney stones. Uh, I'm just thinking back on the hospital stays I've had there have been I honestly don't remember ever waking up from a surgery or whatever just being starving to death then again that's totally different you know than being you know an overnight stay it's different than being in a coma for two weeks and and you know stuff like that so yeah and I mean I, and, and, and it's it's splitting hairs and like details that we don't have you know was he on an IV for a period of time and then how long has everybody been gone from the hospital it should be noted he does go for water like as soon as he falls out of bed though yeah yeah that's true I think a show could be dragged down into the mud if you try to provide every last detail that you could possibly think of. You know, there's just got to be a limit. You can only, you can only chew so much bubblegum before your mouth gets aching. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. One other thing that Paula said is, and and I had to kind of cut the voicemail a little bit so we could fit it in. She mentioned that when Rick's running to the tank, that, you know, there's so many zombies everywhere, but yet when he gets in the tank, he doesn't think to check if the dead guy in the tank is a zombie. I thought that was kind of interesting, too. Like, if, if there was all these dead things running around after you, you know, and then all of a sudden you pass a dead person, wouldn't you maybe put a couple of shots in him or kick him or something and, and make sure he's not one of them? Yeah, that's a good point. I could see her point there. So thanks again, and this is an enormously large show. So I am going to hand this over to Jordan, and he is going to take it home. 
Well, we want to thank everybody once again for checking out the episode. Check out all of our back catalog. Check out the show at walkingdeadtv.com. Check out our other shows at hhwlod.com. Follow us on Twitter at WDTVpodcast. Send us a voicemail at comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Or send us a voicemail at 516-468-7912. And, of course, join up at forumforgeeks.com. Check out the Walking Dead Podcast Network and all the great shows there. And remember, until there's no room left in hell and zombies take over the earth, I would do anything for love or to escape an impending zombie horde. But I'm not going to do that because that's disgusting. Have a good night. Good night. Brains. Brains.